It's good to be in God's presence, isn't it? Do you feel loved? Great. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to get, uh, get into the word this morning. Yeah, Father, we do just, we just stand amazed at your incredible love for us. Who are we that you are mindful of us? And yet, the truth we've been singing about, the truth that we've been hearing about, just melts our own hearts. And I pray, even now, Lord, will you just give us ears that hear? I pray, give us a fresh impartation of your amazing love for us, your incredible grace, and the joy that we can have in union with you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, well, this morning we are indeed continuing our series through the book of Philippians. As a church, we've been spending a few weeks on this. Uh, Basically, finding joy for life. How do we find joy for life? Last week, if you were with us, um, we looked at the fact that rejoicing in the Lord is actually a, a choice. It's our responsibility. It's a conscious decision that we can make despite our circumstances. Why? Because the source of our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And we experience this joy by being filled with his Holy Spirit. And so the bottom line last week, which is still true today, is that every single believer, regardless of their circumstances, can know a joy. Joy is available to us if we're prepared to avail ourselves to this joy. And over these last few weeks, we've been looking at things that can steal our joy. We've been looking at disobedience, uh, disappointment, disunity, any other disses, um, disgruntledness, is that a word? Disgruntledness, yeah, I mean, you know, basically grumbling and complaining. This week, we're going to be focusing on perhaps one of the quickest ways we can lose our joy, and that is falling into a legalistic, works-based lifestyle. When we shift away from resting in Jesus' finished work on the cross that we've been singing about this morning, the cross stands above it all, it is finished. When we stop resting in that finished work of Christ and and we start to move into a a more of a duty-bound workspace, sometimes guilt-driven way of life, trying to earn somehow God's approval. If we don't think we've got it, oh, I better, better please him, I better appease him. What we quickly find is joy goes out the window when we start to fall away from grace. So this morning, our title is Finding Joy in Grace and actually avoiding this joyless legalistic lifestyle. In our passage this morning, if you want to turn to it, we're going to be based in Philippians chapter 3. In our passage today, Paul is, is addressing, um, with some pretty harsh language actually, people who are teaching that actually you need to earn your salvation, you know, through obeying certain laws and living a certain moralistic way. 
I, in fact, that, that false statement, you know, that you can earn your salvation through the, the way you live and obeying certain laws, kind of sums up what I guess most people think Christianity is. You know, sometimes we're more known for what we are against or what we don't do than we are for what we stand for, the joy and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, are we more known for, for actually what we don't do? You know, I think most people think Christianity is all about just lining up to a certain moralistic way of life. Truth is, that sums up pretty much every other religion, if not every religion. And that's what sets Christianity apart, because that is not the truth. And it's no wonder people reject this moralistic message, because, because that is not good news, is it? That just sounds like an awful lot of joyless hard work in your own strength struggling to, to live up to a certain standard. That's, that sounds like a lot of hard work, and it is not the gospel. The Bible is very clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and on his finished work of salvation on the cross. And I know most of us are very clear about that. But a question I want to ask is, do our lives actually line up to what we believe? Do we live out that truth daily, resting in God's grace? It's, it's a well-known truth, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's, it's what Martin Luther rediscovered 500 years ago, the core of what sparked the Reformation. This, this wonderful message of absolutely free, unconditional grace of God. That when we receive him as our Lord through faith, we're declared righteous. You're righteous. And we receive his Holy Spirit that produces in us the fruit of obedience and joy. It's not like we don't have any external or outward signs of obedience. It's just that obedience flows from salvation, not for salvation. A massive difference. A massive difference. So Paul is, is pretty mad with these false teachers, particularly in Philippi, but also, if you read Galatians as well, it's all about that. In fact, he gets so mad in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 5.17, you know, so mad with these guys who are basically saying, no, no, if you really want to make sure you're saved, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to come under the Old Testament, Mosaic law, Judaizers, they were called them. He basically says, well, look, if you are so impressed or you think God is so impressed with you cutting off flesh, I wish you'd go the whole hog and basically emasculate yourselves. He is that mad. He's like, why stop there? He is mad. He doesn't hold back. And he doesn't hold back here in Philippians 3 either. So straight after he calls us to rejoice in the Lord, he goes on saying, look, this is no hardship for me to keep repeating this same message because it's a safeguard for you. And it's this message to guard against legalism. Keep resting in the grace of God. He says this in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Kind of get the idea he's really unimpressed with these guys, don't you? For it is we 
who are the circumcision. And here he's meaning the circumcision of the heart, this internal change that God does in us. You can read about it in Romans 9. We serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Here he's got a double meaning, obviously circumcision, but also flesh meaning anything that is an outward, just an outward work, a good work. It's all about our self-sufficiency. It's all about our independence from God. That's what flesh means. He goes on to say in verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, tick. Of the people of Israel, big tick. Of the tribe of Benjamin, another tick. A Hebrew of Hebrews, tick. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, massive tick. As for zeal, how about persecuting the church? That's pretty zealous, isn't it? As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had a seriously impeccable religious pedigree. And, and, you know, he had this impressive start in life. Right at the beginning, you know, his parents followed the law to the letter. They crossed every T, dotted every I, circumcised on the eighth day. I think even today, we can put significance in our upbringing. You can say, well, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents went to church. I got christened. I'm obviously a Christian. You know, I don't really follow any other religion, so therefore I must be a Christian. Well, not if there has been no personal repentance from sin and personal confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was of the right nationality, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, he, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. This was one of the two elite southern tribes. You know, he was, he was, he was on one of the best tribes as well formed the southern kingdom. And again, people can put their confidence even in their nationality. Well, I'm British, or I'm American. You know, God's on our side, isn't he? We're a Christian country, aren't we? Again, God isn't on anyone's side. He's on his own side. And we can choose to surrender to him. Paul had an impressive education, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained under the great and mighty Gamaliel. Again, we can put our confidence in our upbringing, our education, our knowledge. Knowledge doesn't save you. You know, Paul had, in the world's eyes at least, a seriously impressive track record. He says, as for righteousness based on the law Faultless. That's pretty impressive, isn't it, that he could say that. Again, today, people just think that being morally upright, you know, a good person should be enough to get them into heaven, to earn their way into God's favor. You know, the number of people that I speak to, and it's the usual thing, isn't it? If they do believe in God at any rate, they'll say, well, I think that, that God would look on my life and, and in balance, you know, compared with other people, considering all things, I think I'll be all right. You know, I, I haven't sort of 
committed any major crimes. I think I'll be okay. They put their confidence in their track record. Yet even Paul, even Paul who could describe himself as externally faultless with regard to the law, still needed a saviour to forgive his sin-stained heart. You know, if anyone could earn their way to heaven, I reckon it could have been Paul. Yet he knew that where his confidence used to lie in all that stuff, his education, his upbringing, his track record, where his confidence, all his religious credentials, all the things he could boast about actually now look like rubbish in comparison to what Jesus offers. says this from verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. I consider them garbage. Everything he had going for him. Everything, all his little brownie points that he could have put it, put, pointed to, that he could have boasted in, he now saw as garbage. And in fact, our biblical translations are, are over polite here. The Greek word literally means excrement. And I don't want to put you off your Sunday dinner. But that is basically the word. That is how we're to see all our self-efforts, all our struggling and striving to earn God's favor in our own strength. It's excrement. It's dog poo, okay? You know, I take Ben... We found a new place to, uh, to park, to drop Ben off at school. I do the school run in the morning. And it's actually quite a nice new parking space. There's a little walk through a wooded path to get to the school. But it's a nightmare. It's like a minefield of dog poo. I, don't, I think anyone who walks their dog there has not realized that you're meant to pick up after your dog. And so we're like, wait, watch, watch, watch. Step over this one, step over this one. We're constantly on our guard in case we tread in this stuff. I think that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. When he says, you know, he starts this section off saying, this message is a safeguard for you. We too need to guard against falling into legalism. We need to see it as repulsive and unhelpful as dog poo. It really is. It really is. Every time we fall into just trusting in our own wisdom and and trusting in our own strength and trying to do stuff, even out of a guilty conscience, to try and trying to impress God, we are falling away from grace and into dog poo. Okay? If that's the one image you leave with, it might be helpful. You know, even that, even that phrase, falling from grace, uh, is, is misused, it's misquoted. It's often used, isn't it, for someone, for someone who's fallen into sin, you know, sometimes quite publicly. We say, oh, have you heard so-and-so, they've had a fall from grace. You know, it's usually a big sin they've fallen into. That's a massive misuse of this phrase. The truth is... It's when we fall into sin, those are often the times when we discover 
God's grace is sufficient to cover every sin and every mistake and every failure. His grace is sufficient to get us back onto track. No, no, when Paul coined this phrase, falling from grace, in Galatians 5.4, he was describing people trying to justify themselves, trying to, to make themselves right before God through good works, falling from grace into legalism. In fact, I was quite chuffed as I was preparing this message, Terry Vogo himself tweeted, he's the um, founder of our uh, church movement, New Frontiers, he tweeted this exact thing. It might have been that I probably heard it from him years ago and it's just sort of regurgitated it here. But it was just a nice little reminder. Falling from grace is not falling into sin, it's falling, falling away from grace, sorry. It's not falling into sin, it's falling into legalism. Works-based lifestyle. Paul is saying, don't put your confidence in anything other than Christ, not in your works, not in your background, or your upbringing. Consider them garbage. He goes on, that I might gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I think it's a really clear description of the gospel here. External morality will never make you right with God. Only believing that Jesus truly paid the price for all your sin. What C.S. Lewis called the great exchange. You know, our sin for his righteousness. Our shame for his holiness. God's wrath was poured out on his son so he could pour out his love on us. That love that we've been experiencing and singing about this morning. It's the great exchange. It's the outrageous grace of God. Church, let's never, ever get tired of hearing about God's grace. Let's never ever move away from just enjoying his grace. It's the only way to salvation and it's the only way to continue living the Christian life. You know, even just one of some of the songs we've been singing, we're adopted. We're not just redeemed slaves. We're adopted children of God and all the inheritance that goes with that. We are justified. We're declared righteous. We are redeemed. You know, he, he, this freedom that we enjoy has been fully pray, paid for. Nothing more needs to be added to that. Why on earth would we ever consider going back to trying and earning our approval with God? Trying to earn God's favor. Why would we do that? Well, I think it's down to our own human nature, our flesh, our pride. We like to be able to boast in things that we've done. It, it comes back to pride. It takes humility to embrace the grace of God. We need reminding, and as Paul does in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 
that, that it's a gift. salvation is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It takes humility to embrace grace. You know, I always remember Billy Graham, who you know, just this, this week passed away, age of 99, incredible legacy. I always remember one of the things he, he used to say is, your very next breath is only because of the grace of God. It's only because of the grace of God that we can actually take our next breath. We are totally reliant on him. So very quickly in the time we've got left, because I want us to come back to worship, here are some signs. You know, think of them as warning lights on your dashboard that maybe reflect and, and show that we are falling away from grace and maybe uh, embracing a more legalistic, works-based lifestyle. And the first one I kind of already mentioned before, but the first one is that our joy quickly goes. When we try and strive in our own strength, try and live up to a certain Christian ideal in our own strength, it's a pretty joyless experience. It is. And again, we just simply need to get back to the heart of the gospel of grace. You know, if you find yourself going through the motions, even at church or even at work, you're just like, work just sucks the joy out of me. You know, we've forgotten the fact that actually we work as though working for the Lord, that this is our mission field, that this is where God has called us to for this season. You know, if if we've kind of lost sight of that, if it's all just, actually, I'm just doing stuff in my own strength, we need to get back to the heart of the gospel afresh. We need to encounter God's mercy and his grace afresh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. Heather brought that word last Sunday about people who had lost their first love. You know, again, God just wants to, for, for you to know again that incredible love, that joy that you had when you first responded to the gospel. You know, to know again the joy of your salvation. I love, I mentioned it last week, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God, it's not just of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is yours in Christ. Don't go through the motions. If you're living a pretty joyless existence, just check whether you're falling away from just resting in God's grace. Another little sign is when we do find ourselves just striving in everything, Again, just trying to earn God's favor or even people's favor by doing stuff. We find it hard to say no. We, we end up doing things more out of a sense of duty than delight. Talking about times when we read the Bible just to, just to get through the passage. When we go to church, if you're honest, mainly just because you're on the rotor that Sunday, I'm really going to be missed. Anyone been there? Going to life group, because you feel sorry for the leaders. You know, they've prepared hard. You're going to be the only, if you don't go, they're just going to be sitting in a room by themselves. You know, the, I, I understand we want to be responsible. And we do go through seasons where things can be a little bit feeling like we're going through treacle. But what I'm talking about is when this becomes a lifestyle. When actually you can't remember the last time you got excited in Jesus. 
You can't remember the last time you go, I get to go to church and meet with my brothers and sisters and we're going to worship the king together. I'm going to encourage them and they're going to encourage me and we're going to leave equipped to go out into our workplace and witness for Jesus. You know, it's that sort of thing. I'm just striving all the time. You know, it's when you sign up to food bank because somehow you think, I don't know, it'll look good on your heavenly CV. You know, God loves you, okay, whether you sign up for Food Bank or not. Sign up for Food Bank because you want to share the love and the grace that you have experienced in your own life with others. Sign up for Food Bank because of that, not to impress God. You're his child. If you haven't got it this morning already, he is crazy about you. You know, there's often a performance mentality attached to this striving as well, isn't there? And again, that's rooted to pride. I want to feel good about myself by doing stuff. I need to, I need to show that I'm a certain level. No, no, that's, that's just pride. And if you remember when we did our series on rest, which was so challenging, I think, for myself and many others, we looked at Hebrews 4. It talks about when we become a Christian, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we enter into Jesus' Sabbath rest. In other words, we rest from striving to earn our salvation and we rely totally on his finished work. When Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later, and then if finally he ascended into heaven 40 days after that, we're told he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Job done. We can enter in to that rest. Striving in our own strength is, is falling away from grace. Another sign is when we seem to always be struggling over the same sin. It's this besetting sin. And, and yes, we all face temptations and we all fall from time to time. But the thing is, when we try and rely on our own sense of, of resolve, our own sense of willpower, our own strength to, to fight this, we're not going to find much victory in that. Again, it takes humility. We need to rely on God's grace. Again, Titus 2.12, well-known passage. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, not striving, not willpower, grace. Teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. We need to confess our weaknesses. We need to say, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need your Holy Spirit to give me the power to overcome. Galatians 5.16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're totally reliant on him. Another sign, little warning sign on your dashboard. If you find yourself actually becoming quite a critical, judgmental person, particularly to people who are different than you, shows you haven't fully understood or embraced the grace and the love and the mercy and forgiveness of God. You know, very simply, if you are resting in God's grace, you will be incredibly gracious to others. Incredibly gracious to others. So just check your heart attitude. 
I thought, am I becoming a bit critical? Am I becoming a bit judgmental? Maybe you're, you're kind of shifting away from grace there. So important we check our attitudes. You know, even our subconscious thoughts, because it can be really subtle. Unforgiveness is often tied into this as well. And I think if, if we're in that place, though I think it's helpful, you know, read passages like, like Luke 7. Jesus talks a lot about, you know, those who are forgiven little love little. Those who have been forgiven much love much. Calls for us to keep coming back to the cross, keep looking at what the cost, the price that Jesus paid for our own sin. Looking at the lengths he went to. How much have we been forgiven? Just look again at his grace. Final little warning sign I just wanted to, felt God wanted to highlight. There's probably many others. These are ones just, just I felt God wanted me to, to bring. Was when we have no real sense of assurance of our salvation. It's like, well, I've made that commitment to Jesus, but I'm not really sure. Maybe I better top it up with, with good works. You don't really have that, I know that I'm saved, that I'm justified, that I'm redeemed, that I'm adopted. I know that I'm a child of God. I know where I'm going. Again, going back to Billy Graham, you know, when you hear him talk, he knows where he's going. There was that famous quote that was put up where he said, one day you will hear that, that Billy Graham has died. And he said, I haven't died. I'll be more alive than I am now. I'll just be at a different address. You know, he knew where he was going. It was powerful. And it is truth. And I love that. But maybe if you don't have that sense of conviction, that assurance of your salvation, maybe you can't forgive yourself over shameful things you've done in the past. You think, well, how can God forgive me? I don't even forgive me. You know, guys, let's just keep reading truth. Hebrews 8 Verse 12, and again it's repeated two, two chapters later. God says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God chooses to forget. He forgives and he forgets. Our eternal hope is not based on our past performance. Our eternal hope is not based on our present or future performance. Our hope is totally rooted in Jesus Christ's perfect performance. It's in his righteousness. If you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved. Again, it comes back to, to being reliant on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing what is to come. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us feel adopted. Romans 8.15, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear. Oh, I don't know if I'm saved. You've received a spirit of adoption <laughs> as sons which cry out, Abba, Father. There's that inner assurance of the Holy Spirit, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm a child of God. I know that I know. If you don't know that, I'd love to pray for you after the service that you will receive the Holy Spirit, this spirit of adoption, that you will know that you are his. 
Another passage I love, Isaiah 12, 2 to 3. Surely God is my salvation, not my impressive track record or anything else. I will trust and not be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And I love this last verse. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You know, our salvation should be a constant supply of joy. Day by day we can draw water from the well of salvation with joy. So if you recognize any of these traits, I don't know if you've noticed, but the answer is very simple to all of them. It's simply turning back to Jesus again. Just turning back to his grace, trusting in his Holy Spirit to give you the strength and power you need. You know, last, last summer, I bought some solar-powered LED fairy lights, very impressive, um, just to put over our tent to make our tent lovely. And basically, it was to really find our tent when we've gone to the loo in the middle of the night. And you're just like, which tent is it? They all look the same. And ours was covered in fairy lights. So that was the plan anyway. The first time I used it, I placed the little solar panel, you know, south by southwest, maximum exposure to the sun. I was waiting for this glorious display of light come evening time. The night fell. I thought, ah, oh, maybe it hasn't kicked in yet got darker and darker. Eventually, I had to confess that it was rubbish. There was barely a glimmer. I literally had to hold the LED, and there was the faintest little glow, like a little glow worm. I thought, this is rubbish. I went around the corner and saw that the solar panel had fallen flat on its face in the grass at some time during the day. In other words, it hadn't received any energy, any power from the sun. It was flat on its face. reason for telling you this is not as a little tip for next time we go to Ashburnham. It is purely, I am getting into glamping by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I might be getting a solar powered microwave, maybe a hot tub, I don't know. Need a bigger car, don't we? But the reason for telling you this, it's not just a useful tip, but we are just like those LED solar fairy lights. You know, in and of ourselves, we have no power. We have no battery backup. We are totally reliant on the sun, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ. You know, and it's a simple picture, but I think it's a powerful one because as we were talking about last week and the week before, when we are reflecting Jesus, when we are reflecting his joy, when we are basking in his love and in his acceptance, we will shine out like stars in the night sky or fairy lights, if you like. You know, the next evening, I learnt my lesson by then. I wedged the peg in firmly, and they were beautiful. They shone out beautifully. We had lots of, ooh, that looks nice, from passers-by. But you know what? If we keep on going down the route of legalism, trying in our own strength, you know, turning up to prayer meetings just to make up the numbers, again, thank you for your heart. But there's more to prayer meetings than that. You know, every time, even as a pastor, oh, a sense of duty, I should really spend time with God. It's kind of what I'm paid to do, isn't it? You know, that sort of stuff. Every time that kind of crosses, I am just acting like that solar panel, flat on its face in the grass. That's what we're doing. And you know what? That is not the life Jesus Christ died to give us. 
a joyless, stressed out, striving life. No, he gave us life in all its abundance. And when we choose to rest in the grace of God, that is, that's when people will see us shining out, stars in the sky. They will, they will say, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. There is a joy, there is a peace that is so attractive. So, rather than beating ourselves up for feeling like this or recognizing any of these traits, it's very, very simple. Just turn your face back to the grace of God, the finished work of the cross, the empty tomb that shouts sin and death has been defeated. Let's just open ourselves up afresh daily to the Holy Spirit to fill us with all joy in believing. This is what we're called to do. Just very briefly to wrap up then. As Christians, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we go on living by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We go on trusting that his sacrifice was enough. There is nothing more that I or you need to add to that, to what he has already done. If that was the case, as Paul says in Galatians 2, Christ died for nothing. If there's stuff that we needed to do, he died for nothing. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, not by works, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We need to keep that in our head. God has called us to a life of grace, a life of freedom, a life of joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and our human pride, we need to fight against. You know, this aversion to grace, we need to embrace grace. Rhymes, doesn't it? But it calls for humility, calls for surrender, calls for us to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So church, let's be really diligent to root out any hint of joyless, work-based religion. Think of it as excrement, if you want. But let's be a people who rejoice in God's amazing grace. Amen. Let's just worship him. And as I said, I'd love to pray for some people. If you recognize any of, these, any of these things, maybe just a sense of joylessness in your life, maybe a sense of just going through the motions, love to pray for you that you can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit we've been singing about and talking about already. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet?